Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. Good. I'm good. Good morning. Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas. The uh, scripture that was read um, tells of, of wise men seeking. And I'm going to present the part uh, this morning where they brought gold. They brought their gift. And in doing that, you have to understand that they started out, these wise men, with uh, really a, not a whole lot of regiment. They knew that they were instructed to go and find the Christ child, the baby Jesus. And they knew that they were going to bring to him the best that they could bring. And in doing that, one of the things they brought was gold. And the most important mentality. And I think for all of us this morning, no matter our status, no matter where we're at, we have to bring a seeker's mentality. There has to be something in us that knows that there's something out there, that there is something better and bigger in life than what I can find on my own. And and I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm going to speak with you and to you because in my own experiences, it's the moments in my life that I've not been satisfied, but I've not turned to Christ. That that innate seeking mentality that God put in all of us to seek, the Bible says he's a seeker. And if I'm made and created in his image, I too am a seeker. And so it's in that seeking that sometimes we get in trouble. Sometimes we have tried to find things to to patch holes in us and to mend hurts in us and to uh, follow things that aren't necessarily Christ-like. And the beauty of this season is that the seeker's mentality is alive in all of us. And it's really ultimately what we're looking for is what defines us. And some of us take circuitous roundabout ways to come to the realization That the very thing that I'm seeking, the very thing that I need in my life, the very thing that ultimately makes the difference between a complete me and an incomplete me is Jesus Christ. And it's these wise men that began on their journey and they were not going to be deterred. And in that seeking, I, I can only imagine what vied for their attention on that journey. It was not an easy journey in those days. It wasn't just, you know, across the street, couple camels. We see the, the pictures and the postcards. This would have been a dangerous, arduous journey, and it would have vied for their attention. There would have been plenty of things that could have knocked them off course. And in our lives, the same thing exists because we have a gift to give Him. And the gift is that you and I were made to give Him glory. We were made to worship Him. And so this journey that we undertake, this walk of life that we all go through, we have a gift to bring. And that gift, the only thing that Christ desires is the gift of you. Because He gave to you the gift of Him. And so in return, I can't give Him enough money. I can't give Him enough goodness out of my own self because it's just... Filthy rags anyway, the best I can be on my own. But there's something that he wants of all of us. 
There's a reason he came. There's a reason he endured. And so that response is what defines us. Because we're all getting the nudge. We all have the urge to worship something. You will worship something. And if you will worship, if you're created to worship and you have a gift, where am I going to lay that gift? And they brought gold. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, well, we obviously know that gold is a symbol of royalty. And I thought, gosh, I don't have any royalty. There's nothing in me that's royal or regal. But really, gold and bestowing royalty isn't about the person giving it, which is the heart of worship. If I waited to give until I was all right with God, if I waited until I had a great week or a great month, if I had to wait until I got all of my life together in order to give or to crown him the king, I'd never crown him because I never can get me fixed. The moments that I've tried to fix me are the moments that I've just created a larger tangle and a larger mess. And so... It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about crowning him king. And it's about giving him what he deserves. Not about the status and the condition of who I am. And so what holds you back this morning? What holds me back? Are the things I want to look at? Are the things I want to let the Holy Spirit investigate and search me? Because I don't want to hold back a gift to the one who deserves the greatest gifts. And of course gold is... Very pliable, it's malleable, it's a very soft metal. It may be precious and it may be heavy, but it's very workable. And I think in them bringing gold was a symbol that you and I hopefully allow him to work. Allow ourselves to be molded in his image. To be reshapened and refashioned. Because ultimately, if I can't let him work on me, I can't work on me. Others really can't fix what's broken in you and in me, our carnal nature. And so I want to crown him with gold. I want to crown him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning and every other morning. But I also want to see gold as a, as a symbol of my ability to be molded and shapen and not be so rigid in the things that I think and the way I think that I can't and I forget to bring him the greatest gift. That's my heart. That's your heart. You know, we don't have to bring you know, bars of gold. We don't have to any longer. We don't have to drag a bullock or a ram or a turtle dove or a pigeon. Thank goodness. He was the ultimate final sacrifice. He just wants this. And it sounds so simple. But this heart can be really mysterious and dark. And it doesn't need to be. And so in them bringing gold. And in us bringing the concept of gold. I bring him something of my own self. The things I hold back in reserve. The things that you hold on to that he's, he's nudging us to let go. Don't hold on to bitterness. Don't hold on to strife. Don't hold on to pain. Whatever your goal is this morning, whatever you can give up so that he gets crowned king in your life, that one area, that one thing that you and I both know, what we're, we, we, we're just holding it back, be a great morning. This is a great day 
to give that back to Him and say, you know what, it's not worth it. If this is what you want is all of me, take all of me and we're going to sing it, let's make this a day where I give Him all of me as the best I know how, which is search me, O Lord, and know me. And search, rummage through the closets of my life and see if there's anything in me that isn't right. And if, it, if you find it, I'm going to say, here's my gold. Here's the thing that I value a lot because I hold on to it. I'm going to willingly give it to you today. And in doing that, I think that we can all bring him gold. We can all bring him great treasure. Things we hold on to. And I pray and I hope that this Christmas is just amazing and blessed and simple and back to the basics and the roots of our lives. Search me, Lord. Search us. Search us. And whatever He wants of me, I'm going to give it to Him as the best gift I can because there's not money. There's no jewels I could bring Him. He doesn't desire those things. He owns it anyway. The one thing that He wants to possess. The reason he came is to possess this, the heart of man, to infiltrate and penetrate my heart. If they say, what does, it, what does that story tell us about their heart? What does that story tell us about the person of Christ? In Matthew 2, you found phrases like this as Athena read, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasure, it says there. There was the issue of gold. I'm going to talk about frankincense. In a minute, you'll hear about myrrh. Another line says, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them. The story of the wise men tells us a couple of things. It tells us they left the familiar. Okay? They left what was their normal physical surroundings. They left the things that came easy for them, the things that came natural for them, the normal stuff. They left those things on purpose. Why? Because they knew there was something better. They were willing to... We think of these guys as like traveling for like a night, showed up in Bethlehem on the day Jesus was born. Listen, this journey was more... Most people think, think it, was a, it was a two-year journey. They didn't just decide one day, oh, that'd be a good thing to do. Let's go get something to eat. Let's go through the drive through They determined they had to change everything that was normal and familiar to them to get where Christ was. They left physically things, but they left emotionally and mentally things behind them too. They had to leave their friends. They had to leave their family. They had to leave their schedule. Things that, that, that brought comfort and peace to them, suddenly they had to vacate on purpose. And they tell that there was just things. They, religiously, they had to leave things. These people were not Jewish believers. These guys were not people who were raised understanding the Scripture necessarily. Some people think that Daniel was considered a magi, and he taught them certain things when he was in Babylon and, and wrote certain letters. So they had kind of an awareness. But they get there, and they don't even know how to find him. They're not familiar enough with the Hebrew Scripture even to know exactly where to look. And it requires some people, some scribes and some people from, from, from Israel to help them locate the possibility of where this prince, this king, this newborn baby would be found. And they had to leave behind some things they thought about God and some things they thought about uh, worship and some things to, to go find him. All those things have to be true of us. You know what? All of that has to remind us of the person of Christ. He had to leave heaven. He had to leave the beauty of heaven to come find us. 
He had to leave what was familiar, what was known to him. He had to leave the glory of heaven. He had to leave, he had to leave, um, uh, uh, he, he was forsaken by his father and his friends at his most, his most intense hour, his darkest moment. He destroyed, didn't just vacate or leave religious thinking of his day. He completely, he, he tore a veil in two that was a completely holy element on purpose to make access for men to get to God. That was Jesus. And their, their story tell, points to this. They gave something. They gave, they gave a, a fragrant ring, a fragrance. That was the most valuable thing. It was one of the most valuable things you could have in those days. They had to find a way to transport that, that, that gift in a box, in a, in, a, in a caravan. They had to find a way to get it from point A to point B. And that reminds of God's love. See, God, God had to have a way to get his grace and truth to us. And he packaged those things in a body in an infant in the conception of a child he put love and grace and truth in that and he sent it with a caravan of angels they sing loud praises to God on the night of his birth assuring shepherds to come near to him just like those wise men were in a, a caravan pa packaging a, a gift with them they had to protect it so there were robbers and all sorts of things. There were circumstances that during that two-year journey would want to, to, to pull away at those gifts so they didn't find another. You know how it is. You have intentions of doing certain things, but life happens. You put that little thing away, and you wanted to give it to a missionary or something, and then all of a sudden the, the washer breaks down, right? These are going to be determined to protect that gift because life was going to happen on a two-year journey. And they determined they were going to protect it to, to a great degree because it was valuable and they knew they had to give it an act of worship. God did the same thing to us. You see, he gave us a package of the person of Christ, right? But he gave us just enough information we could find him, but that we couldn't find him until it was just the right time. He had to protect it because there was, there was satanic issues and, and, and the world, the flesh, all of it was going to come against this person of Christ. And you know what? He packaged it and protected it so at just the right moment, at just the right time, he could be seen for who he really was. But you know what he had to do? They had to administer this gift the way God wanted it administered. See, the idea of frankincense leads us to worship, and particularly worship of the Old Testament. There was an altar of incense that, that the Old Testament they would use to offer up honor unto God. You find that in Numbers 15. They, 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 that's what it, it signifies. See, these three elements represent something to us. Gold represents the glory of heaven. And you'll hear in a minute about what myrrh represents, the culmination of Jesus being crowned, really, what it boils down to, and him doing what he came to do. But the incense represents the fragrance of Christ's life. Not just that he came from heaven, but that he lived among us. I don't know if you caught that word in that, in that, in that, in that song. It says, you live, present tense, and you died, right? The, the, these three things represent the totality of the person of Christ. That he walked among us. He was Emmanuel. His life was lived as a worship unto the Father. He said many times he would say things that, that, like, 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 I only do what I see the Father doing. New Testament has a prescription for us how we ought to live. 
how our life ought to come up as an aroma before God. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says this, this is this, live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. See, our worship of Christ is much what Greg described. It's the giving of our heart, the wholeness of who we are, and then that life being lived to honor God and coming up before God as an aroma, as a life. If you've come this morning and you come for any other reason than to give yourself back to Christ, you've come for the wrong reasons. If you've come just to go through a ceremonial religious service, you've come for the wrong reasons. You should come this morning with the anticipation and the expectation that your life is going to be different, that today your life is going to come up before God as an aroma. It's going to speak of the glory and the grace of God. We're not here just to play religious games. I love the singing. I love the worship. I love the little interludes and stuff. But we've come today for one reason, that Jesus would be exalted and that we might be changed. And we might live changed and walk changed. Matthew Henry says this, these were the products of their own country, the gifts that the wise men brought, the magi brought. What God favors us with, we must honor him with. It was exemplified in their bowing and their giving. They bowed low. God sent his treasure of heaven to us, and that life honored him. I came across a piece a minute ago, earlier this week, and it talked about, you guys ever heard Tim Tebow? And how he paid a bunch of people's layaway off at the Walmart. Did you hear about that? To, 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 people, the, the guy says, he, he was, reality means everything to us. People just saw of him as an old, washed-up, retired football player, and suddenly he became a very good friend to some people who just wanted to give gifts, and he paid off their layaway, right? He got, and they had a certain opinion. He talked about Steve Jobs, and, and Marcus Mariota was the guy nobody even knew of a year ago, and he won, he won the Heisman Trophy a couple weeks ago, and didn't even, nobody even really knew who he was, and he, he won, like, the second greatest margin ever in the Heisman Trophy candidate. So we think certain things about people. They're not necessarily true. Our opinion doesn't change reality, he says. A man recently told me, I don't believe in hell, as though his opinion was relevant to hell's existence. I can say I don't believe in Queen Elizabeth, but my disbelief doesn't make her any less real. If I, it is far wiser to align our opinion with reality, a fact that is especially relevant with regard to eternal truth. These guys came to grips with the reality that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the King who would come they bid, they, they bid everything on that moment. A fact that is especially relevant with regard to eternal truth. I recently preached on the story of Simeon, another wise man from the scripture about the story of the birth of Christ. He was a, he was a, a prophet waiting in the temple for the Messiah to come, and it says these words. The man who went, met the infant Jesus in the temple, Luke, Luke describes this man as devout, translating the Greek word eulabes. This word is used only by Luke in the New Testament, but was common in ancient Greek literature. Plato and others employed it, always with a very specific meaning. That meaning, Eulabes, describes a person who assesses God properly, recognizes his sovereignty and supreme holiness, and who therefore submits to him with fear and reverence. Because he was devout, when Simeon met and embraced this infant Jesus, he knew he held divinity in his arms, and he gave them the reverent worship due his Lord. May we follow his example today. That's exactly what those magi did. They didn't come just to see any normal king. I don't know how many other princes were born while they were magi. They did not travel two years to go see them. They traveled two years to come find Christ. You know why? Because Christ was sovereign. He was divine, and they knew it. 
and they bowed before him and gave the most valuable of things to him. Putting their very life on hold. Putting their very aspirations on hold. Putting their families on hold. Putting everything else on hold to bow before him. But he did, they didn't stop there. You see, they didn't just come and walk away. They continued to listen to his voice. They, were, they started out seeking him and they kept seeking him. They weren't just following a star. They were following Christ. They, were, they weren't just looking, it was not just a star. The real thing they were seeking and hunting was not some celestial thing shining in the night. They were looking for the Savior, the one to come, and they kept listening to him. They turned, they returned a different way home. Why? Because they listened and they kept following and obeying. I'm kind of wound up, and if you're not used to that, I don't apologize. That's just who I am and who God made me, and so just deal with it. We are led to him, we are to be led by him from now on, not just on Christmas season. Are we to do the work and the acts and love God and honor him? We are to live for him with all of our being, to start listening and to keep listening. Every moment of every day, we should be seeking like those men were seeking. We should want to put our lives on hold for the glory of his name. We should want to offer our most valuable things. For some of you parents, it would mean letting your kid follow the dream God put in their heart, not yours. Oh, man, I didn't mean to say that. That wasn't in my notes. Where'd that come from? <laughs> That's one of your most valuable possessions, and you hang on to it like you can control everything, and you can't let those children be who God created them to be. They had to let go. Oh, man. Just got in trouble with some parents. You just made Christmas kind of a rough bring around our house, Aaron. Sorry. It is a sweet aroma to God. Worship is to be a lifestyle. It's not what I just do in certain moments. It's how I live my life. I bow before I'm bringing my most valuable things. That's an offering to God. That's frankincense. That's an aroma to God. It has an effect on others. Their worship affected Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Their worship affected Herod, be it all kind of negatively for him. That, that's scriptural too. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 reads like this. But thank God, exclamation point, he has made us captives and continue, continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Listen to these words, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like, like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And he makes a question, I have to ask you guys, who is adequate for such a task as this? And the answer is, none of us. But bowing before the person of Christ, he gives us the power and the ability by the work of his Holy Spirit to be what we normally can't be. To walk like we couldn't normally walk. To talk like we couldn't normally talk. To give in a way we couldn't normally give. That's what he does for us. So my question to you is this. Are you seeking him? Or maybe you're here today and you started seeking him and it's been a long time. You got off the path. You let Herod disrupt God's plans for you, and you didn't listen to God. You just kept doing your own thing. Get back to seeking him. Listen to this. Are you, did, your, did your life leave the aroma of grace and truth wherever you go? Do people walk away from you going, what was that? Do they walk away from you going, 
my goodness, there's something different here. What, 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 what went on? Does the smell of Christ, does the aroma of worship, does the life of Christ penetrate all that you are, all that you do? Does your life have an effect on other people? You see, if we would be people who would offer the incense of our lives to Christ like these wise men do, we would alter the here and now like they did. We would alter the future like they did. And eternity will be different because of that. Because Christ seeks to impart his life to people that they might live as he lived and might love as he loved and might walk as he walked and might talk as he talked. This morning, keep seeking. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Father, this morning we give you ourselves and we give you our lives. We pray it would be incense and worship unto you and that, God, your grace and your mercy, God, would be bestowed upon us, not because we're worthy of it, God, but because you are. Lord, we trust you and we honor you. It's in your great and awesome. I like the story of these three wise men. As Aaron said, from studying history and different places, talking about that they, some believe it was close to a two-year two-year travel, thousand miles. Uh, one guy was reading and studying on, said, uh, I think they could have been a, a, a three different types of men. Uh, a Jewish scholar, maybe one was left, some was left over, some of these men with these wise men, magi, were left over exiles in Babylon that never left. Some say that they uh, were part of a, this was new for me, I said, a Perithian army. There was a Perithian region over there. And they said the Perithian army, the Perithian region was so strong at some, at some points, they had even overthrown Rome. And I thought, wow. So they talked about when the Magi came, we, we think of three wise men, but really a lot of people think they could have came in a caravan. Some people say that they, their army was so strong that when they come to town, they were enough to scare Herod. Not the fact, not just the fact, there was a, a savior being born of, a new, of the correct lineage. We know that Herod was born of the wrong lineage. So he was, he was serving as king because he usurped his authority upon them. So he was a fictitious king. He was not a real king. Some say that these wise men, you know, they, had, they were well versed in Old Testament prophecy. That word do, magi does run with the word magic. And there were some magi that were involved in magic and sorcery, but they, they say not these men. It would have never been allowed for these men. But they would actually come into regions where new kings, new princes were born, and they would they could either, either overthrow or what they would be doing was putting their stamp of approval on, on this birth of this new king. How many of you have ever been on a long journey wondering if it would ever end? I, I can only imagine two years, 1,000 miles. Let's just cut it down to 18 months, you know, uh, uh, 700 miles. But thinking about that, I, I thought about these wise men. You know, they were men that probably uh, they, they believed that they were astrologers because they could read things in the stars and believe that there, that there was something coming. I don't know if anyone was ever here years ago when Chuck Thurston came here and uh, uh, explained to us, and he lit this place up and explained to us some of the things about the constellations and how, how they could have, they were, those men were smart enough to know that. Uh, but to think that these men were wise, probably well business owners, they were definitely wealthy. They left a lot behind. They weren't just paupers looking for a place to live. 
hoping to come under the reign of a new king that was going to give to their people what they rightly deserved on this earth. No, these were men that knew that there was a coming king and they brought gifts according to that. And today, I, I, would, I, I would like to think this was a scripture. I know it wasn't, but I would like to think for wise men today, I would like for you as a wise man or woman today to think of this. First John 1 1 through 4, said, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Think about if you were a wise man showing up on the scene. You'd, you'd been taught in the scriptures. You had seen it in the stars. You had studied. You'd spent a lot of time. This wasn't something just came on you all the moment, and you just grabbed your caravan and you took off. This was something that you studied out in the cat. They called it a caste, C-A-S-T-E, a community of people that you lived with. You'd studied this out, so you invested a lot. You invested everything in this trip. I would like to think this is what was running through their mind approaching the newborn king. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Joy, Mary, all that stuff is talked about around the Christmas season. I'm thankful that we're down to bare knuckles this time. We're, we're actually talking about that, that day, that thing that happened. These wise men... Uh, were led to Herod and all that, to think that they, they had had a dream. They had actually had a dream. So they not only were well-versed men in the scriptures and the scrolls and the Old Testament prophecy, they were not only educated outside of that with astrology and things like that. Think of the humility they had to have to leave a place where they stood in authority. They shined probably above most to leave and to venture on a journey, uh, praying that it would lead them to that place. Um, what would it take you to leave? What would it take you to be able to say, to honestly say in your life, 1 John 1, 1, I have held, I've handled, I have experienced. The Bible tells us that we have to study to show ourselves approved. If there's one thing I appreciate with raising boys and being in my 40s now and trying not to look back, struggling with a midlife crisis and look back and say, wow, I wish I was more educated, I would tell young people, uh, get an education. First and foremost, I'm going to say this, in, in the Word of God, know it for yourself. To be a wise man, we must study to show ourselves approved. We must. I'm telling you, I, I struggle at times thinking, I think my graduating class was 282, and I think I was 212. I barely got out of there because somebody helped me do a term paper. I wasn't that unintelligent. I just was not a person that was going to work outside of school, and I did not. I refused to. But it, it, the way I am, to me now, and, and serving Christ, I can't live off Jim's experience. I can't expect Jim to give me scriptures to be able to stand on. 
July 14, 1991, I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. I had an experience that God had changed my life. And, and from that point on, it leads me to my second point. We must study to show ourselves approved. We must have an experience. Have an experience. Very, I, I really question putting that in there. Because I can tell you, I kind of cringe at, at someone to think that I'm charismatic. I am charismatic, I guess. I believe in the gifts. I believe in the gifts of the... I believe in the gifts. I don't want to be stamped certain things, you know what I mean? I don't want to tell you have an experience. I don't mean necessarily mean some feel-good thing, but I'm going to tell you. It is. It is old taste and see that the Lord is good. It is that. It is the fact when you realize everything you can achieve in this life doesn't amount to what we could achieve of having an experience with God the Father, Jesus Christ His Son, and the Holy Spirit living in us daily through His Word. I'm here to tell you. I want a new truck sometimes, but I would rather have an experience. I think our experiences can be... The wise men had an experience. They had a dream that led them. They had a dream that led them. Young people, just like Aaron said, your parents may have some dream that they're trying to lead you in. You may have another dream you're trying to lead yourself in, but God has a dream to lead you in. And it would do us all very well that we come in humility to our Savior and find out what He wants to lead us in. Because I'll tell you otherwise, you're just going to be like blind people groping in darkness. You're going to try to fill your belly with all the things of this world, and and it'll never happen. It'll never happen. I believe wise men were humble men. I don't think you can have an experience with God and, and humility not be part of your life. The second thing, next slide, would be have an experience. Study to show yourselves approved. I'm not saying you're a pastor. I think that's so silly, but I think it behooves us men, I preach to you men, to do well to know the Scriptures. I just tell you, I... I'm not saying you have to teach or preach or any of that. Two, they gave their most valuable gifts, thinking of these wise men coming. Most people, it's kind of, if I could say, uh, these wise men come and they bring gifts. We automatically think of gold, frankincense, and now myrrh. We think of myrrh. But before they offer their gift, it said they fell down and they worshiped. Did you know, like Aaron said, that the word magi was called of Daniel? Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, he was considered a magi. The great thing about that was, it said that King Nebuchadnezzar fell down and worshiped him. Worship in those days, falling down, it's one thing to pay homage to someone of royalty or of a larger status than us, a position held. But, it, but it's another thing to fall down and worship because you're making them higher than the deity that you believe in. Yeah. These magi, not only paying homage with gifts, they bowed down and they worshipped an infant child. Well, two, two years old, I think, around there. So the greatest thing they offered 
Wise men gave their most valuable gift. The greatest thing they offered is like Romans 12 says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Young people tell you this right now. The greatest thing you can do is offer your body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Not dead, be a living. It's something that we daily do. We daily walk up and offer our bodies. And I don't know about you men, but it kills me at times. If I have to ask the Lord, are you trying to kill something in me? Are you trying that? Is is that what you're trying? When does it stop? The greatest gift they offered were their bodies. They offered themselves. They bowed and they worshiped. It's the greatest gift God wants from us. I remember one man kept coming to our church before he knew Christ. He, he would hunt and fish five to six days a week. But his wife was a Christian. She served the Lord. And then he started coming. And he loved my uncle who was the pastor. And, 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 and he told my uncle one time leaving on a Sunday night, I think it was. He said, if I keep coming like this, I guess I'm going to have to start writing you one of them tithe checks or something. My uncle said the greatest thing. I'll never forget. He said, don't worry about giving money here. If you give God your heart, He'll have everything He has of yours. Listen, if God gets your heart, you're going to have this little thing like a chest. Did you mention that, Aaron, what they said? They said that chest, another term used for it, or translation could have been casket. Meaning something, that thing in there is dead. We're not going to touch it. It's been offered up to God. These wise men brought a a treasure chest of some sort. I think we know very little. We know very little about what they offered, but I don't think they lavished him as a king who would set him up for years. We know uh, the humility of Christ was far more than that. I, I do think it was somewhat basic. But these men had laid aside something and considered it dead that it belonged to their God, to the one that they would serve. The gift that, that my guy that, that I covered today is they offered the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was uh, something used for embalming. Myrrh also was used for an antiseptic. You know what antiseptic does? It eases the pain. It eases the pain. Said it could have been around a hundred pounds of linen and. And myrrh and spices could have been used to, to, to wrap a body, a hundred pounds. But they brought the gift of myrrh to him, which symbolized that he would suffer death. And we know that through him suffering death, the pain of our death has been taken away. It wasn't circumstance by which they brought these gifts. Do you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? Next thing about the wise men. Wise men, you follow God's lead. You follow God's lead. You want to be on an adventure in life? You follow God's lead. You follow God's lead. Derek talked about the scripture yesterday. Romans 10, was it Derek? Huh? Huh? 1014. And it talks about how will they hear without a preacher. I like to think of the stories these guys would have told on their leaving. 
Remember an old song we used to sing? I won't leave here like I came in Jesus' name. The wise men didn't leave. In Old Testament Scripture, you never left out the same door of the church you came in. Never. The wise men were told to go home a different direction. My gosh, these were magi. These were men in a caravan that could have owned the land probably if they wanted to. Herod could have very... Why didn't Herod pursue them when they left his palace? Why? Herod and all his army didn't pursue three little wise men, find out where they're going? No, he tucked his tail and he stayed at home. And it said they went their way. Then, then he began to ask their wise, his wise guys where, where they were at. King Herod, paint this thing up like our Christmas paints it so well. It's just three wise men with three gifts. Follow them dudes. God had a plan. Listen, when God has a plan for your life, there's something supernatural that happens. Not joy and, and everything's bliss. But there's a divine protection that comes over our lives. There's a, there's a, the David said, I never saw the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. But we have to be wise enough to listen to the Lord, to have an experience that when he says, you may have come this way, but you're going back this way, it doesn't always work the same, Patrick. It's my deal. Let me work this out. And how do we get like that? Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16 when the little children wanted to come to him and the disciples rebuked him and the disciples said no and Jesus rebuked them. Why? Jesus said, unless you be like one of these, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I could ask for, all, I could ask for anyone from the age of 15 down to get up here and watch how many would come. And if I asked for the rest of you to come, you'd look at me like, what's he going to do to me? We talked yesterday about the fact that more women serve in this church than men. And I like what one guy said at a Promise Keepers years ago. I don't even remember who it was. I remember two words, and I didn't know them, uh, the one word real well. I mean, I did, but never used it in that. So, I mean, uh, this really shows. Spiritually responsive. Because women are more spiritually responsive. God, if, that's, if it takes some female genes, some female pheromones or whatever they've got, moans, you know, they've got some moans, I can tell you that. But, uh, uh, uh. If it takes some of that for me to be a spiritually responsive guy that follows God's leading and knows God's word and worships like there is no tomorrow and I don't care what you think, God, give me a double dose of it, would you please? I don't know about you, but if I was in the Bible, this, this today we're in the Bible story concerning the wise men. You must die. You must die. You must, Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You must be like a little child. When his daddy says, come here, you get up and you go and you don't question. Wise men, I want you men to be wise. I want you to live out a great adventure, but not outside of the context of the Word of God. We must. Leave what is familiar. We must offer our most valuable gifts. And we must follow God's lead. The wise men, guarantee you, when they left on that two, two journey, I bet they were the best evangelists known to the region as they left for two years. Because they could say, you know what, we handled it. We saw it. What we studied and what we had believed and what we saw in the stars have come true. He is there. He is that. And we proclaim this same thing to you.
We know that the Word teaches us we have fellowship with the Father, but now we have fellowship with the Son through Jesus Christ. If you are here today, and you have a maybe so, I don't know so, you think you're just eased into this thing you haven't had an experience, and I'm not being goofy here, but I'm saying there is something that happens at the moment that we deny ourselves, we confess our sins, and we accept Jesus Christ. I think the wise men left singing and shouting. We know that the angels of heaven, the heavenly chorus, they sang. And So this season for you, I want you to leave what is familiar. I want you to think of myrrh, and I want you to die to yourself. But I want you to allow God to lead you. And how will you share this experience with your children, with your family, with your neighbors? Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.